0: Hi, good morning. It is really great um, to be able to speak and share and knowing that uh, as I look out, I get to see people that very genuinely like know and care about and that our church is more than just a congregated group of people, but rather is a church family and begin to build like genuine friendships over time. So I'm excited to have your trust um, as we look at the topic of service. Uh, The last eight or ten weeks we have been looking at spiritual disciplines. Um, Service is one of those and so I am uh, really excited to talk about that and so to anchor us to a text of God's word we're going to look at Matthew chapter twenty verse 20 through 28. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, um, the Black Bibles next to you, go to page 775. And again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28. Now, as you're flipping there, the first half of this, the first paragraph is a bit of context, but it is really not the focus. And so there's some things that might bring up some question marks, definitely don't ignore those, but they're not really going to come in play with what we're looking at today. We're focusing on the second half of this section. So looking at Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28, and it reads like this. Then the mothers of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. But he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten, the other ten disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself or give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the text that's anchoring us as we're looking at the spiritual discipline of service today. But before we jump into that, um, I want to talk about... um, Two things, and do so in a very just like honest, frank way. First thing is the potential for a, a growing burden that you might be feeling. Recognizing that we are 10 weeks into a like a teaching series all about spiritual disciplines. Things that we are looking at and incorporating into our life. We started with prayer. We moved into fasting. Now we're into scripture, and scripture through hearing it, scripture through reading it, through study of it. And I recognize that this could be hitting on some spiritual nerves or some spiritual pressure points for you. Um, And as we're learning about these things and we're engaging and practicing these disciplines, um, our our heads might know and believe that we're engaging in these things in the freedom of Christ for the result of personal freedom and flourishing. But the reality that you might be living in is that your heart rather than feeling free and feeling flourishing is actually feeling increasingly burdened. It could be that your plans just aren't working out. Uh, You committed to getting up early and to read and to pray and getting out of bed, it's harder than anticipated. And maybe as you're spending time in these different activities, you're finding that you're not experiencing the emotional highs or the goosebumps of God's presence. Again, in our heads, we know that these practices should be good. They should be life-giving. But like, really, we're just feeling disappointed. Or maybe like, like you are underperforming. And I think that's a, a dangerous place is um, we feel like we aren't doing well enough. And there's something wrong with us in this process. So like i said earlier we are a church family not just a congregated group of people so i would love to have a real quick honest conversation about this and to know like what's going on in your life Um, both so i'm aware of it but then also we are aware of each other so if you have chosen to participate in any way uh, over the last 10 weeks around prayer fasting reading or hearing of scripture if you've chosen to participate at all could you raise your hand none of this Because we want to be aware of each other, okay? So, in any way, if you've done that, raise your hand. Keep your hands up, please. So, awesome. Thank you. That's great. Okay, look around, right? Look around. This is the majority of the room. This is a good thing. We're, we're, we're in a teaching period, and we're actually engaging. So, that's awesome. So, I would love to hear if you've had a positive experience in the last eight to ten weeks. Meaning... You are reading your scripture and you feel like God is um, helping you understand it. It's, it's meaningful for you. You're praying and you feel like um, you, you are in connection with him. Um, so if you've had a positive experience, can you go from a raised hand to give me a five? Like I'm out of one out of five. I'm doing great. Awesome. So you've had a lot of people in here have had a good experience. Um, maybe mixed experiences, but at least some good experiences. Um, keep your hands up. Okay, I would also love to hear the reality that some of us have had a hard experience. So if you have felt like you have um, failed your own expectations, you haven't lived up to the commitments you've made, or you feel like your time in scripture is flat and you don't get it and it leaves you more confused than before, or you're praying, but it feels like you're praying to the wall or the floor. um, If you've experienced that, could you give me a one? So notice, if, okay, if you've experienced both of these things, do this for me. Go, one, five, one, five, neon lights. Okay, look around the room. Look around the room. What do you notice? Every stinking buddy is doing this. So I do not have a quick three-tip fix for how you can never have that again because that's not real. Um, what I want to point out is that um spiritual highs and lows, emotional highs and lows are normal. Very, very normal. You'll never like, achieve a state of spiritual bliss where you never have one of these moments. You're always a five moment. And I want us to understand that we, as we're looking at these things, we are growing in these practices, these rhythms, these habits. We're growing in them, in the freedom of Christ for the result of personal freedom and flourishing, for bringing glory to God. And I also want to just like take some pressure off to know that as a church, we're not going to buzz through this in the course of three months and never come back to it again. We're going to incorporate this into our study and our conversation on probably an annual basis so that this frees you right now. You can devote yourself to prayer as a spiritual discipline. You can learn about fasting. You can learn about scripture. You can begin to start those things, but you're really going to say, I'm going to like focus on, prayer, or I'm going to focus on scripture, whatever that might be for you. So I also want to encourage you that in this process, your desires will change. They will. Your habits will shift, and all of this will occur bit by bit, decision by decision, and failure by failure. And I say that last one very specifically. It will change failure by failure, because it will happen. And I want to specify that when you feel like you're failing, that is not the time to to double down and make up for the time you miss next week. It's not the time to burden yourself more, but rather this is the reminder when we feel like we're failing, this is the reminder to thank God. For me, when when I feel this pressure or this failure, I pray. And this is often what my prayers will look like. It'll be something like this. Father, I thank you that you sent your son not to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved through him thank you that your son, given for us, given for me, has already conquered death. He has already freed me from the law of perfect spiritual disciplines. And I can now be remade by you in the safety of a new identity as your son or daughter. That I am loved, I am accepted, not by my faithfulness, but by Christ's. This doesn't just wash away the fact that I, my attention comes and goes. But what it does is it anchors me that I don't earn God's favor or my redemption through my own effort or my own consistent attention. It also brings me to reappreciate the Father. It reminds me of the safety and the love and the patience that I receive from him as I'm being remade over time in his image. And it actually fuels my desire to spend time with him and to learn more about him. Second thing before we jump into this want to be honest about this that as humans we have mental filters. Uh, I have an image up on the screen that is a graphic I quickly put together that I hope helps illustrate the way that our brains sometimes work. Uh, The way it works is we have an input at the top of the system. This is new information, a new thought, a word, whatever it is, and it flows through these lateral filters. Basically those images are to represent the bits of information that we've already been exposed to That inform the way we understand the input into the system. The end, little triangle, is just like what we conclude. You guys, this this makes sense in daily life, right? We hear a word, we filter it through our experiences and information, and then we have a definition of that word. So this is just normal. But the honest part is that when we are talking about the things of God, um, sometimes, like, we just Have some misunderstandings, and our filter kind of sucks. So, when we consider things like um, who God is, what His character is, what His history is, what He desires for us, what His purposes are, we have all these weird bits of filter in here that we've picked up that aren't actually accurate. And so, we get a, a, a misunderstanding at the end of the day. And so, the reason that we are going through this series on prayer, on fasting, on the intake of Scripture, The reason we're, like, readdressing all those things is to put in the right filter. The reason we're um, looking at New City Catechism is this is a tool that points us back to Scripture. The reason that we're reading this specifically is because what we want to do is we want to replace all those filter pieces with what the world says and all the things we've picked up over the last few decades, and we want to replace it with the illustrations and the examples that God uses to describe himself. So rather than listening to someone else for who God is and what he desires, we actually listen to God himself through his own illustrations and his own explanations. So that's why we're going through this teaching series. It's why we're using the New City Catechism, and it's why we're teaching so heavily and relying on scripture. And so this filter, with all these different components, it's most effective when it is comprehensive. What I mean by that is, um, specifically today, we're talking about service, okay? And so if I have only like this little silo of filters related to service over here, then I have the input word service. It filters through what I think that should be and being nice to people and doing good things. And then out pops my understanding of service. But that's siloed to this one little bit of information. When we make that filter comprehensive and we say, what is service in relation to the entire story of God? the understanding that we have at the end of the day changes. It becomes more nuanced. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're looking at replacing those filters with what the world says, some of the things that we've siloed, that little bit of information. And we're looking at introducing a comprehensive understanding of what is the story and the narrative of God and what is service, how does it fit within that? So there are four main themes within the biblical narrative. And they go like this. Creation. It's a timeline, right? Creation. When things begin, this is God creates the fall. When, as God designed it, the world has been changed and no longer is living to the design that he intended. Redemption. When he intercedes and he begins to um, redeem and buy back and begin to change again. And then finally, restoration. This is Uh, the end of our Bible, when when the Bible promises that God will come back and actually return us back to the creation that was intended. And it it, um, removes this element of the fall from our hearts. So that is the the filter that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Where does service fit within all of that? We're going to spend some specific time talking about redemption. Who here was at creation? Okay, who here was at the fall? (laughs) You've experienced the result of the fall, but you've never, you weren't there. Who here has experienced restoration in heaven? So that means we're stuck here in this little in-between point, this point in time called redemption, where God is acting to move us towards restoration. So that's what we're going to be spending the majority of our time on. But we're going to start out with creation, because this tells us about God as source. It gives us his original intention. So we're going to start actually before the creation itself. We're going to start with who was God before creation. So we're backing all the way up before the first star, before the first planet, before gravity, before time. Before all of these things, God was a loving, and he was a self-giving God. Now you might ask, how before there was any speck of creation, how could God be self-giving? In order to give, you need a thing, and you need a recipient to give the thing to. So how can God be self-giving? Well, the answer is actually um, found pretty readily in our the tool that we've been using, New City Catechism. So um, if you throw this up on the screen, question number three in New City Catechism, we did this seven weeks ago, is this. How many persons are there in God? And the response is that there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are the same in substance. They are equal in power and glory. And so we know that before the act of creation, God in himself was actually in relationship with the various parts of who he is. Now, The Trinity can be confusing. So if you um, have not, if you feel like you haven't really been exposed to what the Trinity is, I don't want to leave you questioning and we don't have time to really get into it. So I have a tool for you up on the screen. Uh, Cool thing about phones nowadays, uh, they have cameras. All you have to do is point the camera at this QR code and it will literally take you to a website. Like all you have to do, pull out the camera app, point it at it, don't take a picture, just point it and it'll open up a website. It's crazy. Um, If you, if the QR code doesn't work, All you have to do is, the website is The Gospel Coalition, and the article is The Doctrine of the Trinity. This is one of those resources that you can spend five minutes there and you will be benefited. You can also spend five hours because it's full of videos, of articles, of explanations. It's a really, really great tool. So if this would help you, please take at least five minutes to go check it out. It'll be helpful. So within the Trinity, we know that God the Father loved and cared for and served God the Son. And God the Son loved and knew and cared for the Spirit. And the Spirit exalted and honored and loved the Father. So within this triunal relationship, there was self-giving, reciprocal self-giving. We're going to look at our attention back to Matthew chapter 20. And the point I'm looking at should be bolded here. We're looking at God's nature expressed in this passage. So Matthew 20, it says, this bolded section, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. So in creation and through the fall, we actually see that God continues his act of self-giving. In the moment of creation, God is living out of a relational, reciprocal self-giving that comes for his love of justice and righteousness. This was the posture that God chose to create then, is he actually created out of his own internal self-giving relationship. Now, the next part of this carries well, if we could go back to this, right? This is a tool. We're using this for a reason. Um, question four in the New City Catechism, it'll be up behind me, is how and why did God create us? And it says this, the response is God created us male and female in his own image to know him, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Now, I'm going to draw our attention to the text that this actually comes from. It's Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. So where we're left with the New City Catechism and where we pick up right here, says, so God created man in his own image, in God's own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see here, way over here at this moment of creation, God is existing in this relational, reciprocal, self-giving. And out of that, he creates us in his image. So he has actually created us to be self-giving. And the dominant way that that comes in is that we are giving of ourselves back to God in his original design is that God is self-giving towards us through creating us and loving us. And we are self-giving back towards him being made in his image. That's part of our DNA. It's part of who he is. Now, the next part in this Genesis 1 is we're looking at, and it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So now we're looking at, we're made in God's image. We're made with the character trait of being self-giving. We're made to self-give to God. And now we're seeing here to fill the earth, to multiply. We see that we're made to self-give towards each other through community. So we're made to express relational, reciprocal self-giving with each other, right? This is what we call friendship. This is what we call family, as we give of ourselves to serve each other. I'm going to keep going. It says, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this completes this little three-point thing is God and his own self-giving creates us. We then respond where we give ourselves back to him. Part of our communal nature is we then give of ourselves to one another. It's called a healthy relationship. And then we also give of ourselves as we care for and curate God's creation. So we give of our own time and energies towards creation. So we can see that's part of who we are as God originally intends it in creation. And so within this, I believe that God had a purpose, that God always has a purpose. And so he has a purpose for making us self-giving. So as God made time, as God made gravity, as he made stars, the planet, he made us, he asked us to fill the earth, his purpose was that we, in all of creation, would glorify him. Now, we sometimes get hung up on this word glorify. Is God vain glorious? No. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of righteousness, of justice, of goodness, of peace, and of love. And any action that he makes is out of that character. So he creates us out of that character. He creates us in his image, out of that character. And so... When it says that God does things for his own glory, it means the presence of his attributes are reflected in creation, meaning that we glorify God by having his attributes present in us, meaning that we reflect, like, mercy and justice and goodness and peace and love. And all of these things applied to community result in our good, right? If your friend is someone who is righteous and just and merciful and loving, you enjoy being in friendship with them, right? you benefit from the attributes of God present in that person. And they glorify him by honoring him and living out of his character. And so that is the purpose of his creation, that we would all of creation would glorify him by being full of his qualities. And when he invites us to anything, he's calling us out of this original character. And so he's calling us through anything towards mercy, through justice, goodness, peace, love. All of these things bring him glory and they bring us good. So within this thought then, God always has a purpose that when God gifts us with the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, of scripture, now of service, they have the purpose of bringing God glory by filling us with his qualities for our good. So scripture has a purpose. Fasting has a purpose. Sexual abstinence has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. Discipline and correction has a purpose. Serving has a purpose. Now we're going to hit pause and we're going to move from creation to fall because we're talking about creation. We have some really pretty imagery and ideas about this all-loving, self-giving God and us and this beautiful, self-giving relationship to him and to others and to creation. And it's beautiful, but it doesn't feel accurate. It doesn't match up observationally with what we experience. Our daily lives don't reflect this. So... I know for me, I recognize that self-giving does not flow naturally out of my heart. It doesn't flow naturally towards God, towards others, towards creation. I naturally am very self-serving, if left to my own devices. So what's going on? Does all of this imagery and this creation narrative, does it not apply? Is it fake? If it doesn't observationally match up to what we experience, it must not be real. I don't think so. I think that it actually speaks to a reality that we've fallen out of. So it's not no longer real, it's just something we don't live in right now, which fits within this biblical narrative that we're gonna keep going on into. So Christian tradition calls this part of the story, when things stop working, it calls this the fall. And this is the moment when this reciprocal, relational, self-giving relationship between God and man, man and God, man in community, man in creation, when this relationship changes. And Christian tradition calls this sin. And sin is very complex. Sin can be used to describe all sorts of things. It can be used to describe harmful actions towards yourself or towards others. It can be used to describe living in any way that is outside of the character of God, or in other words, not bringing him glory. At the root of sin, though, is a throne and sin is a changing of who is sitting on that throne. And I'll explain this. By throne, I really simply just mean the authority, who has authority, who gives purpose, who gives commands, who calls the shots. God is the creator, as the good creator, right? we know his character of mercy and patience and love and righteousness, as the good creator, the one who is rightfully to sit on the throne, He's the authority. He gives purpose. He commands, and he calls the shots. Now, sin then is our mankind's inherent inclination to dethrone God and put ourselves on that throne. Here's where this is kind of tricky. Sometimes we think we are on the throne. We're not on the throne. It's actually on the throne. What's actually driving us is our desires. And so our desires are actually on the throne of our lives. Our desires are the things that we think will ultimately fulfill us. And so Christ recognizes that we are enslaved to our desires. And so when he invites us to follow him, it's actually an invitation to the process of identifying and dethroning those idols and properly re-enthroning God. This frees us from slavery. We begin living under the authority of a good and a loving God through his original design, with his guidance. And all, all of this that is occurring, this dethroning, re is occurring within his Relationship where he extends mercy and grace and patience to us. So now we're at the moment where you and I live. Creation, beautiful, self-giving, relational reality. We desire this, the fall. Though we were not there, we experience it. And now we're thinking of, like, where are we now? Well, This is why, as we look back, the creation imagery, even though we don't experience it, is it resonates, is that it is a reality, but it is not the reality that we are currently in. So now we're at this moment, this third part of the biblical narrative, creation, fall, redemption. So redemption, simply understood, is the remaking or the renewing or the correcting of what's broken. And the catalyst and the power for this is God sending Christ. We do not initiate redemption. We don't earn it. We don't have the power to do this for ourselves. You guys have experienced like the sin in your own heart and you've wrestled with it. And we know that we can't beat that on our own. And so as we're looking at the catalyst of this being God sending Christ and Christ being the one who actually does this work of redemption, Um, we're actually gonna flip-flop the order because the order properly is the fall, redemption by God sending Christ, and now we are working out our redemption in real time in this time in um, in history. But rather than starting with Christ glancing off of him and talking about how do we then live out and work out our redemption, we're actually gonna flip-flop the way we look at those right now, and we're gonna start with how do we work this out in real time, and then we're gonna land squarely on Christ's initiation, and securing of our redemption, because I want to land there, not glance off it and move on and then forget it. I want to land on this. So bear with that order, and remember that, that Christ initiated that. So what is the purpose of serving within our moment in time, our moment in redemption? We are not living in creation, in a utopia. We're not living in the fall moment. We're living in this in-between redemptive time. And so we have the context of creation, that God's character is naturally self-giving within himself. He's created us in his image to extend that to him, to each other, to creation. We have that the sin has entered the picture. Our hearts don't follow Christ or follow God. They actually serve ourselves. We call this sin. And now we're in this moment of redemption. So what role does serving have in this moment? I would argue that there's two things. First thing being internal change, God gives us serving for the purpose of internal change. Christian tradition calls this sanctification. And the second thing being external change. God gives us serving to create external change, what the Lord's Prayer calls God's kingdom come. So focusing on this internal change, like I said, Christian tradition calls this sanctification, which is only means being remade in the image of God. If God created us originally in this one image, that image has been skewed and twisted. Sanctification is the remaking of the original image. And our sanctification process requires the dethroning of those idols in our own hearts, those like heart motivations and re-enthroning God. And so all of the disciplines that we're looking at, but serving also has the purpose of bringing us squarely like face to face with what are our idols. Now, quick point. Well, if we have desires, aren't like, don't we have desires for a reason? Shouldn't we want to fulfill our desires? Yeah, kind of. But it's important to understand and to hold to to maintain that God does not starve us. God doesn't starve us of our desires. He actually satisfies our needs in a way that is more significant and more satisfying than we realize that we want. When the things that we want become idols, they're the driving desires of our hearts, we chase after those desires. Sometimes we catch them, and if we do, we eat them, we enjoy them, we consume them, and at the end of the day, we ultimately are dissatisfied, when that is the only thing that we're chasing. Now, you might resonate with this when I put it in these words. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I have a girlfriend, when I have a boyfriend, when I have a spouse. I'll be happy when we can afford the bigger house and it's just a little bit more quiet. I'll be happy when I get that job or that promotion. I'll be happy when we have children. Wink, wink, Whitney and I have been talking about kids. Um, (laughs) You can tell my stance. Uh, (laughs) I'll be happy when Now, notice, none of those things are bad, right? All of those things are very, very good things. Being in a loving, committed relationship, awesome thing. Having a good job that's satisfying, great thing. Having children, a nice home, great things. But they alone cannot fulfill our deepest soul needs. And so those should not be idols that drive us, but they should be wants that come in the order of God being properly enthroned. So, good things gone awry. You might resonate with this other thing. The way that our idols drive us to destructive tendencies. One drink over time, like one drink just to like take the edge off of things, just to get me through, that drink becomes a fifth. One pill, just to like make the pain go away, becomes a bottle. For me, this destructive tendency was pornography. Like, one intentional stare at an internet photo 15 years ago, that became the thing that took me years to become free of. Because whatever was in front of me was never enough. My appetite always grew. So the thing that I thought would satisfy me didn't. And so I'd go a little bit farther, a little bit farther, and a little bit farther. And that's how we go there over time. We're actually seeking these things. We're following these desires that don't actually satisfy us. So God's role, then, of satisfying us truly is that he graciously refuses to give us the immediate things that we want. And he changes our appetites, and he actually blesses us with what truly satisfies us, which is a right relationship with him. This is what we call restoration, Um, and we'll get to that. But so how does serving in this little moment of redemption, how does it do this, like, bring us face-to-face with our idols? How does it reveal to us and point out what are these things driving us in our hearts? Well, a couple of things. The first one being that service, it costs us. If you are serving someone else, you are not serving yourself. It comes at the cost of time, of energy, of money, of mental capacity. And maybe for you, for it would look like this, this sentence, I'm willing to help, I'd love to help, but not if it encroaches on the freedom of my weekend. Or maybe I'd love to go on that missions trip, that sounds great, but it's really expensive and I could use that money and that time to go on vacation. And so in, in, the, in these situations, what it's doing is it's revealing the things that we are not willing to give up that makes sense? And I'm not arguing that we should be frivolous with our budgets. We should all just fly around the world and build houses. What I'm saying is that these internal conflicts that we feel, I'd love to help, but you know, I just don't know if I have time. I'd rather do this. Um, it's revealing like what are we holding on to? What's driving us? What's motivating us? It's revealing the things that we value deeply that could be idols. We're expecting the security of those things to bring us satisfaction to meet our soul needs. Next point, the way that uh, service brings us face-to-face with our our heart desires is it humbles us. It forces us very really to weigh if we value others enough to do the dirty work or if the work that we do goes unnoticed. When Christ came to serve, it says, we're looking at Matthew, it says, when he, he came to serve, not to be served, and he humbled himself. He did the hard things, the ugly things that others didn't want to do. And so as we serve, when we serve humbly or in humble ways, it reveals what we think our identity is. Is our identity the person who should be served? Or is our identity secured in Christ He now commands us to serve others? A way of maybe putting this is this thought. I'm, I'm too skilled for that kind of work. I'm sure they can get other people to do that. I'm sure my time would be better used elsewhere maybe it would be this. Why would I pick up trash that's on the ground? I didn't make the mess. And besides, it would just get messy anyways. The reality of this is, like, it's hard to help other people, right? It's hard to serve other people, especially if we internally feel like we're superior in some way. They should have taken care of themselves, right? That sort of thought. And it, again, sometimes there's truth in these things. I'm not trying to put burden, but what I'm trying to say is like this reveals what's going on in here. Sometimes serving, it inflates us. Um, And in this way, it reveals our idols too. Maybe it would be in this words, "I'll, I'll do this for that person. Look how great I am. I'm willing to give up my Disneyland vacation and instead go build a home in Haiti. Like, isn't that great? Um, And so again, it's revealing what's going on in here, and like to be really honest, like this is right here. Like I'm in this like mixed emotions. Like I believe in serving and preaching is a good thing, but it's also this like, oh look how great I am, look how smart I am, look at the information I have to share. And so it's revealing like this identity that I'm actually trying to live into. Maybe you'd put it in these words: I'm happy to bring them dinner. I'm happy to cook as long as I think they'll send me a thank you text afterwards, right? Those aren't the words that necessarily come first to mind, but they're there. They're revealing of what's going on in here. Now, this last one, when I I say this, I think of Arnold. I think of like he was flexing his devotion. Um, (laughs) All I mean by this is that service, it flexes and it strengthens our devotion to God's kingdom. It tests our commitment, meaning this we aren't even making a change. We should just give up. We should just stop. Or does it push you past that barrier when you feel like it's not doing anything? Because you're devoted to the restoration that Christ has. You're devoted to his kingdom. So it's strengthening our devotion. It's testing and revealing our devotion to that. Now that is internal. That is in this moment of redemption, what is Christ doing? How is he using service to reveal what's actually present in us? And by identifying those things, by dethroning them, by re-enthroning God, how are we being changed on the inside, right? Now we're going to look at external and the, this external reality that we have the chance to change. So we first identify this. We, we did the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about prayer, and this was our structure. So if you throw this on screen behind me, the first three lines say this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we see that here Jesus is teaching us to pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth, that his will would be done here on earth. And so what we're doing by serving is we're bringing bit by bit the kingdom of God to earth. We're beginning to live out of a new way of being here on earth. And that's in our present stage of redemption. So here's where this is beautiful. God does not leave us to wait. God does not say, I had this original design, and it's beautiful. There was a fall and a change, and I will am in the process of restoring you. Now just wait. Your, your reality doesn't change. You're just stuck. And you can't change anything. You can't change on the inside. You can't change the world around you. You're just stuck, but don't worry. In a few millennia, I'll come back and get you. That's not the narrative. The narrative is that there has been this fall, but what God says is, I am interceding now. I'm interceding now, and I'm letting you begin to change on the inside. I'm inviting you to experience my image inside of you right now. And I'm inviting you to experience my kingdom come, little by little, over time, right now, as you wait for restoration. This is actually a beautiful invitation. Now, what does that look like? I'm going to point us back to Matthew 20. And again, the part I'm looking at is bolded, and it says this. It says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Jesus is giving us the opportunity to live differently than the rest of the world. He's not making us wait to begin to live differently. John chapter 13, Jesus puts it this way. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, in this, I would not argue that Jesus is forcing us to miserably serve and love each other. He's actually welcoming us to begin living differently now, in his right side up kingdom, here in this present state present stage of history. And our sight in this is really important because when we have a proper understanding of how God describes his kingdom, we begin to see the disparity between his kingdom and the world that we live in. And that creates this ache in us where we then are aware of what how broken the world is and how good God's kingdom is. And we begin to ache for that. So as we develop an understanding of God, We develop an understanding through his words, through his examples and his illustrations. We begin to desire that. And to put some language on maybe what that would look like, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. This will be on the screen, but I'd love for you to grab your Bible and pull it up. So Colossians chapter 3 puts it this way. And again, we're describing what God is inviting us into to live a little bit differently. What are some of these trace elements of God's kingdom that we can experience here in our moment of time? So Colossians 3, verse 12, says it this way. It says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So God is calling us chosen. He's chosen us for redemption. He's calling us holy. He's saying that he loves us. We are beloved. He says, put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we were called, united as a community, to experience the peace of Christ in our hearts. And he continues, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is what we did this morning with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in this, we see the beauty in relationship of how God's character implanted into our hearts, into human hearts, creates a very specific society. It creates a specific way that we relate to each other and the way that we live. Now this is a description of the kingdom of God available to us in glimpses right now in this immediate process of redemption. So restoration will be here when these commandments are, or excuse me, what restoration looks like is that these commandments are written on our hearts so deeply that all of mankind, that everyone and all of creation actually lives this reality. It's no longer a wrestle that we're fighting our hearts, but this is the natural outflow of all relationships. But for now, before restoration comes, we actually get a chance to live in God's kingdom here. By doing that, we're actually called to bless all people. We are the tool, the community that God uses to bless the world. Now, we've had a long conversation. I've been going on for 20 minutes. A lot of it's pretty allegory, and maybe it resonates, maybe it doesn't. But now, like, I want to talk real specifically this moment of redemption, what does service look like? What is it? Like, let's demystify what this is. So we're going to start with this question of, well, what is it? Let's just start there. We have a loose definition of self-giving with God, with each other, with the creation. But what is it? Well, Dallas Willard has this quote that I think very broadly leaves it at this. He says, Serving is engaging our goods and strength in the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. Now you might say, that's too broad. That doesn't give me any parameters. That doesn't help. But if serving is not a list of actions or a, ch- a list of check boxes that you should do, but rather it's a character trait that God has put in you that, should, that can be expressed often, shouldn't it be a broad definition? It should include a multitude of things. So let's put some maybe some more clarity to it. Um, serving to the mundane. Um, Donald Whitney has this great quote, and he says this. Serving typically looks as unspectacular as the practical needs it seeks to meet. So we, if, our, if we are engaging our goods, our strength, and the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world, it might look as unspectacular as the needs you're trying to meet. So it might not be a a grand, holy experience. If your friend has um, broken their foot and you're letting them borrow a scooter so they can wheel around, like that is service. It's not very flashy, not very glamorous. If that same friend, um, you need to mow their lawn because they can't take care of it. Serving looks like mowing a lawn. It looks like sweat and hot and flying grass blades all over the place and you smell like gas at the end of the day. Like that's what serving is. And so it's serving in the mundane. Now, so if, if serving is um, as uninteresting and unspectacular as the needs it seeks to meet, and we're doing this as an expression of who we are as God has made us in his image, not just as a checklist of things we have to do, who do we do that towards? Who do we serve? Well, God gives us the command to love our neighbors as ourself. And Adele Calhoun puts it in this really uh, graspable way. She says this, We will never really serve others unless we see that the needs of our neighbors are as real and important as our own. Service is rooted in seeing in others as God does. God cares about the productive and the non-productive. God cares about the poor people and rich people, the educated and the non-educated. God cares about everybody. And seeing others in this way, it requires humility, honestly knowing that God came to serve the unworthy. And it requires humility because what it requires is that we see ourselves as the unworthy. In relation to someone else, we are the productive or the non-productive. We are the poor or the rich. We are the educated or the uneducated. And compared to God, like all of us are unworthy, and yet the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He gave himself for us. And so now we, the unworthy, are called in humility to serve the unworthy. I'll give you a hint. literally means everybody. <laughs> next thing. I just want to make some uh, real specific things that, or real specific points that maybe just take some burden off. Because really, my hope in this is not that you would be burdened, but that you would be freed in order to ache for God's kingdom and begin to live out of the image of how he's created you. So these next couple things are just to, like, take some pressure off. First one is realizing that serving occurs differently in different seasons. As a part of my preparation for this um, this topic, I interviewed three people that I know in life who have a way of life that represents service. Um, and in speaking to all three of these individuals, I noticed that though serving and service has been a consistent value and a consistent thing that they do, it's looked different and it's fluctuated in the way that it's displayed. For example, as a working parent with multiple kids, your service is going to look a lot differently than someone who is full-time retired, right? Your capacity is going to be different. Um, And within this, I want to point out that um, you can be serving through the things that you're already responsible for in your season of life. So if you're working or you own a business, You don't need to go outside of your business to consider serving. You can actually serve within the things that are in your responsibility, within your world right now. Maybe that's business. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's family. And if you are in seasons of more margin, you can choose to engage in external things, like uh, a nonprofit that you respect and you want to help. Which leads us to this next point, that serving can very legitimately occur in your family. As a parent, you bear authority in your family or of your family. As an individual, you bear responsibility and authority for yourself. Um, And so serving, whether it is um, by being responsible in the way that we curate our own time as individuals or the way that we serve our our spouse or our children, um, these things are legitimate. Now, do we use our family and the ways that we're invested in them to become an excuse for why we don't serve others outside of our family unit? No. There's legitimate things that say serving your family is very, very good. It's very, very worth your time in that season. But does that become the thing that we hide behind because we really don't want to do the other thing? No, right? This is the face-to-face with our idols is when we realize that I'm actually avoiding something that is revealing to us where we can actually give up that idol and experience freedom. Next thing. Mixed motives. You, my friend, are a mixed bag of motives. And I hope that's freeing because God already knows that. God knows that you are a mixed bag of motives. Also, the person sitting next to you already knows that you are a mixed bag of motives. So you don't need to fool anybody and put on a show because we are all very aware that none of us are completely perfect in our motivations, the reasons that we do anything. I again just want to point to the reality that like I'm up here teaching right and I'm full of mixed motives like in this very moment like I want to come across as funny as smart I want to come across as holy and humble like those are like these things roiling underneath the surface that I'm not proud of and yet even with all of those mixed emotions like I entirely believe that God deserves to be served and his word deserves to be preached and he deserves to be glorified And so I can be fully committed to to like preaching this and teaching this while being fully aware that like I'm a mixed bag underneath and I'm not doing it perfectly. And God knows this. You know this. The same thing applies to other ways that we serve. Now the last point here, those like gritty details that apply to the ways that we serve. Uh, Sometimes serving feels like a natural expression of who we are. Sometimes whether it's because you care about someone enough to be humble, to give of your time, to give of your energy, or maybe it's just something where um, it's easy for you to love, it's easy for you to humble yourself. That's great, that is you being remade over time in the image of God. God easily loves and chooses to give of himself. But often true service kind of sucks. It's hard. It requires giving something up, and so we engage in it as a discipline, the same way that we would exercise or work out in order to accomplish something. We're engaging in discipline, knowing it's going to reveal our mixed motives, and it's going to give us a chance to still, with our mixed motives, promote the good of someone else and the causes of God in the world. And That's part of our internal process of being changed and remade over time. Okay. Let's talk application. Like what do we actually do with this starting today? So you guys saw those pretty shiny pieces of paper all over the room. Could you grab one of those? One per person would be awesome. So here is, so don't, don't go to the next slide if you'd hold off on that. Here's what I would like for you to do with this. Um, you'll notice that those things are brightly colored and they're shiny and they catch your attention. They're designed that way. So um, what I would ask is that you would fill this out and I'll explain that, but fill this out for you. You actually personally fill one out. Um, Help your spouse fill one out. If you have kids, help your kids fill one out. Um, And then stick this somewhere, whether it's a refrigerator, um, maybe it's at your desk, maybe it is on the bathroom mirror, put it somewhere where you're going to see it. And before I explain this, I want to make sure this, that you understand this as I I ask you to do this, that this is not meant to burden you. This is actually meant to empower you. So what I'm going to ask you to do is um, write a list of literally everything, literally everything that you as a walking, breathing human being can do. And what I'm not trying to do is create an impossible checklist where you use every single thing that you can do to serve this month, what I'm wanting to do is to help empower you to see that you are already equipped as you are right now. You don't need to learn a new skill. You don't need to go back to school. As you are, when you walk out this door, you are equipped to serve God and to serve others in a meaningful way. And I also want you to feel like these are tools already identified that you can begin to use and to implement. So it doesn't mean you have to use all of these. You don't have to set up a checklist, but this is supposed to remind you of the things that God has already skilled you in. He's already equipped you with. So what does this look like? For me, uh, I did this um, uh, a week or two ago. I spent about five, ten minutes, came back to it. Another five or 10 minutes, another five or 10 minutes. And I came up with this list and it could keep going. And So like I said, literally everything that you can do, right? I as a human being I can walk I have feet. I have shins. I have knees. They all work. I can walk. I can breathe I can sleep. I can do dishes. I can cook. I can rake. I can vacuum I know some basic accounting. I can do plumbing. I can pray. I can pray. That's something that God has gifted me with That's an ability. I can speak meaning like I can talk to a friend, like I can serve them by talking to them. I can organize friends when someone needs help. I can teach, I can mentor, I can drive. I know how to use like the clutch and the like, stick shift. Like I can use that as a, a skill to serve people. I have some m- money saved up. I have a room in the basement one day. Uh, we. I know how to split firewood. I can text. I can like literally, I know how to use a phone. And as I wrote this, Again, this is not meant to burden you with a list of things to do. It's supposed to empower you, to remind you of the things you can do. I wrote this down like, I can text. And in that moment, I remembered the friend who I haven't seen at church in four weeks. And I know that they love church. And so the fact that they haven't been here means that something's going on. And I can be a friend and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I love you. Not to try to get them to church, but to express my care for them. So like keep going, like I can vote, like that's actually a thing, a a skill that we have or an ability we have, I can babysit, I can carry things, I can hang pictures, I can research with Google, I know how to use a computer, like that is a skill. There are people who don't know how to use Google, right? Um, I can pay taxes, I can fill out an employment application. There are people who do not know how to fill out an application. If you have a job, you've done this, you can actually gift someone by helping them with this. I know how to water plants. I can shovel snow. I can type. I can kind of sing and do other musical things. Um, I can use Craigslist. That is a skill. I can help someone Craigslist a new oven. I can serve someone by Craigslisting. So this list could go on and on. Um, I know how to read, right? If you have children, you can read to your children. That is a way of serving them. It's a way of being present with them. And so, again, this doesn't become the list of everything you need to do. This is the things that God has already gifted you with. And so, I would love to see this thing full. And so, when you glance at it, when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, God actually uses this to prompt you. Where you say, Oh, I forgot that I knew how to do this. And yeah, I have the skill of drywalling. And my friend's basement flooded. I didn't even connect those dots. I can go help them with that. Now, Like I said, please take this home, over lunch, sit down with your family, do this. Start simple. Can you walk? Yes. Can you breathe? Can you talk? For me, like the implementation of this, I mentioned texting, like it it was as simple as the very first one, I know how to walk. I've been walking to work for the last couple weeks, didn't even think about this. And every day when I walk to work, I see trash all over the ground and it's about a 15 minute walk for me and there's trash all over the place. Never even thought about it. As I'm making this list, first thing I can do, I can walk, I can breathe, I can cook. Oh, I can walk. I can walk and serve. I also have some money saved up. With that money, I can afford a $10 trash picker-upper stick. And when I walk to work, I can pick up trash. And that turned into this like bizarrely like simple way where I realized that I was empowered on my walks to work to begin to make God's kingdom more of a reality because I wasn't living in a world that says, it's not mine, someone else deal with it. I was living presently in God's kingdom that says, how can I serve knowing where my identity is? And so I'm hoping that as you do this, it empowers you, frees you. And it's something you revisit over the course of the next couple months. You leave it there, you glance at it. Maybe God will use it to inspire you. Now, I want to end here. I said we were going to flip-flop. We were going to talk real practical, and then we're going to talk Christ's initiation. So that's where we're going to land. We, at the beginning of the initiation of redemption, were bought by Christ. That was the beginning of our journey of sanctification. So as we continue in the process of being remade in God's image, we remember that he has already bought us, that he is the gateway and he is the power of change. So we don't continue on on our own. Now, Jesus, he was the servant of servants. He was the most humble human being who ever lived. And he is the greatest example of servanthood in all of history. But when we view him only as an example, an example of how we should serve and how we should be humble and how we should do these things, and he becomes the example of what we need to do, we create and fall into a new law that actually condemns us. But when we see his example, we see that he is exemplary, but we properly identify that he was first our savior. We're actually freed to emulate and obey him rather than being chained to an image that we can never live up to. So I want to point our attention back to Matthew chapter 20 and to this bolded section that says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. That's our example. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That he first, before he asked you to serve, before he gifted you with a chance to be remade, he first gave himself as a ransom for you. He first has secured your place in restoration. And Adele Cahoon puts it this way. She says, it's not on the screen, so just listen. It says, Jesus is our great example of servanthood, but he did not come to earth to live and die just to make us more servant hearted. He didn't come just to make us more servant-hearted, for we needed much more than that. Because of our sin, we needed to be reconciled to God, and no one makes himself or herself acceptable to God by trying to emulate Jesus's example of service. No one can serve so much or so well that he or she becomes sufficiently righteous before God. We must understand and believe the gospel in order to be right with God. End quote. So this is where the gospel transforms us. It transforms us from sinners against God, trying to be like God in order to earn our place. It transforms us into servants of God who are already purchased, already loved, already secured. And now we are safe to work that out, knowing that he loves us and he cares for us, he's merciful and he's patient with us, and our place is secure. Creation, fall, Restoration, we're concluding in restoration. This is what we have to look forward to. This is actually where the redemption is working us towards what God will eventually conclude. I want to point our attention back to Matthew one last time, the same spot. It says, in bolded on the screen, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give him himself or to give his life as a ransom for many. We've been ransomed for a new creation. We've been ransomed so we can be part of the new creation. We weren't ransomed so we can experience a slightly better life here. We were ransomed for the new creation, the restoration. And this, this little in-between moment is where we pray for the kingdom of God. Not that we would experience half in, half out in this moment, but that we would experience with both feet in this environment of restoration where we will live in God's presence, his glory and his attributes will be displayed by a world that is full of mercy, that's full of peace and justice and love and self-giving. And as we look forward to restoration, our hope carries us on. And our presently redeemed status in this moment of history, our identity creates a devotion to seeing God's kingdom come. Here in our lives, by dethroning our idols, Serving reveals those idols, and we participate in self-giving. We re-enthrone God, and we wait for restoration. But until restoration comes, this is where this is beautiful, is that God is not looking to burden us. He's not giving us an example that we can never match up with and then saying, try to be like me. He's offering us a self-giving relationship with himself. and We can participate in our sanctification right now, through the gift of remaking our way of life, which includes being self-giving in regular and daily and mundane ways. And I wanna end on this last thought, our motivation for service. Our service and our serving, living out of this identity of what God's put in us is most energized and is most sustained when it comes from a motive of worship we see God's nature, and we love him and we desire him. So Donald Whitney gives us this quote that I believe fuels worship, and we'll end here. He says, God has never done anything greater for anyone, nor could he do anything greater for you than what he has done in bringing you to himself. Suppose he put $10 million every day in your bank account every morning for the rest of your life. But, he didn't save you. Suppose he gave you the most beautiful body and face of anyone who ever lived, a body that never aged for a thousand years, but then at death shut you out of heaven and sent you into hell for eternity. What has God ever given to anyone that could compare with the salvation he has given to you as a believer? Do you see that God could never do anything for you or give anything greater to you than the gift of himself? If we cannot be grateful servants of him who is everything and in whom we have everything, what will make us grateful? Father, I thank you for seeing your character in creation and that you've actually blessed us with giving us elements of your character, and that those are very, very good things. And I thank you that you've chosen not to leave us in the fall or destroy us as unworthy, but rather you've chosen to redeem us, and you have in plan great things in restoration. And I thank you that you give us tools, the ability to serve others, that helps us live out our internal remaking and helps us be a part of the external change of bringing your kingdom to earth we thank you that we have all of restoration to look forward to Amen